John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we pray now for ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church through this portion of Scripture. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, as we begin, it's important to remember the purpose of John's Gospel. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's important to remember the purpose of this gospel. In John chapter 20, John expresses why he wrote this book. And he says that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. So John's goal is for unbelievers to believe, and then for believers to continue believing. And this morning, we're looking at the calling of Jesus's first disciples. We have this transition from the public ministry of John the Baptist to the public ministry of Jesus Christ. And what we are looking at in these 16 verses is the birth of the Christian church. Isn't it amazing that the Christian church, which is now on every continent, almost in every country, started here. Not with thousands of people, but with a few unlikely 
men. And they didn't all come to Jesus the same way. There's no one-way method. God is sovereign in how he calls people to himself, and he does it in a variety of ways. We see this in the text. The first two disciples hear the word preached, and then they followed. Peter was brought to Jesus by his brother. Philip was sought out by Jesus himself, and then Philip invites Nathanael to come and see Christ for himself. The Gospel of John shows us Jesus that we might then tell others what we have seen. And so the main point, what I hope you see in the text this morning is this. Following Jesus involves coming, seeing, and then inviting others to do the same. Following Jesus involves coming, seeing, and then inviting others to do the same. All right, we'll take a look at verse 35. It starts off with the next day. You might have noticed John the author is giving us this timeline. In verse 19, it starts off with the testimony of John the Baptist. In verse verse 29, the next day. In verse 35, the next day again. In verse 43, the next day after that. So we are getting a day-by-day account of what's happening during the first week of Jesus' early ministry. And so now we are on day three, where the disciples of John become the disciples of Jesus. And verse 35 says that John the Baptist and two of his disciples are standing around. And as Jesus walks by them, John looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Just the day before, something similar happened. In verse 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And from what we know, that first time that John declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God, no one responded. No one followed Jesus that day. But the next day, what did John do? The same thing. He pointed to Christ again. He repeated the same words. Behold, the Lamb of God. This is a reminder to us that there must be a patient and continual preaching of the gospel. In the church, And then as we witness out in the world, we must present Jesus again and again as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We must never get bored of the gospel or think that some other message or method will save. The central and vital truth of the Christian faith is Christ crucified. Behold, the Lamb of God. John's message about Jesus the first day didn't seem to make that big of an impact, but he continued preaching the same message. And look at what happens. The text says the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. It's very likely that these two men were with John the day before. 
For some reason, they didn't respond the first time they heard it. But in this moment, look at the verbs in in verse 37. It says, they heard and then they followed. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes through hearing. They were aware of their need for forgiveness and they beheld the Lamb of God. They heard the message of the gospel and they responded by following Jesus. The word in Greek for followed here means a once for all act. So they turned to Jesus ready to make this lifelong commitment to him, to be one of his disciples, which meant that they left John. Again, think about the humility of John the Baptist. He was a preacher who lived the message that he proclaimed, right? He knew he wasn't the light. He knew he wasn't the Christ. And so he pointed his followers to Jesus. He pointed them to the one who could save them from their sins. They heard and they followed. And that day, John sent off these men who he had probably spent many, many hours and days and weeks and months hard when people leave, right? Parents, some of you have just sent off your kids to college. I've talked to some of you. That drive home is hard, right? It's hard when people leave. As a church, we just sent off the Glanzers as they moved to Florida. It's hard when people leave. It's hard to say goodbye. It's hard to let them go, And so imagine John in this moment. He had poured so much into these men. And now this is the moment where he says, guys, this is it. This is the one who I've been telling you about. Go with him. What amazing humility in John the Baptist to send your followers off to another. John's role was to prepare the way and then bring people to Jesus And we will see all throughout these verses that bringing people to Jesus is what disciples do. In verse 38, these disciples begin walking behind Jesus, and Jesus turns around and sees these two men and says to them, what are you seeking? These are the first words of Jesus in John's account. What are you seeking? This word seeking is a word that's going to come up again and again, and it gets, it gets to the heart of your desires. What are the desires of your heart? What at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, when things get difficult, what do you want? Jesus asked these two men, but he's also asking every one of us, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? Are you seeking an escape from the hardships of life? Is that why you're here this morning? If you are, you're going to be disappointed with Jesus. Because following him doesn't lead us away from trials, but often leads us into them. Some seek Jesus because of their desire for power and wealth. 
But the call to be a follower of Jesus is to deny yourself, to pick up your cross daily. Jesus doesn't promise material riches or worldly success. But think about it. What are you seeking? You're here in church on a Sunday morning when you could be somewhere else, right? Many of you have followed Jesus for a long time, and then some of you are here because someone told you you have to be here. Or maybe you were invited. What are you hoping to find? What are you hoping to find this morning? Why did you walk through those doors this morning? Some people come to church because now they have kids and they want to instill in them good morals. Maybe you're here because you just want to feel justified with the way that you've been living. Some of us know what we're looking for, and then some of us are just a bit confused. It's kind of like the difference between me walking into a snobby coffee shop or a hardware store. When I walk into that snobby coffee shop, I'm pretty confident that me and the barista are going to have a really good conversation about that single-origin Ethiopian coffee that they have on drip. I'm with my people. I know what I want. But then when I walk into the hardware store, I start off confidently walking down the aisles, thinking that I know what I need, and then someone asks, do you need any help? And I say, yeah, I'm looking for that PVC pipe under my sink, and the guy asked me, what size pipe? Then immediately, the conversation is over my head. (laughs) I'm reminded that I have no clue what I'm looking for, and I just showed up because I don't want to pay someone else to do this. I don't know what I'm looking for. So we we show up to church. Some of us show up, and we know exactly why we're here. You know what you're looking for. You love Jesus. You want to hear about Jesus. You know that you're a sinner. You want to hear about the cross and salvation. You want to hear the word preached. And then some of us are here, and if you're honest, you're wondering, why? Why am I here? Maybe that's just what we do. That's what my family's done forever. It's what my mom told me to do. It's what my dad told me to do. I was invited by a friend, so I'm just kind of being nice. I'm a little interested. What are you seeking? What are you seeking deep down? What are you looking for in this life? These disciples of John had already thought deeply about what was involved. They wanted to become disciples of Jesus. To be a disciple involves this deep desire to know God and to follow in his ways. And so look at their response. The response in verse 38. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They come to Jesus as their teacher, and their main concern is to be with him. By asking that question, where are you staying? They're not only asking, where are you staying for the night? But they desired to spend time with him. Their main concern was to be with him. 
And how does Jesus respond? Jesus says, come and you will see. And saying this, Jesus isn't just inviting them to check out where he's staying for the night, but he's inviting them to see that he is who John said he was. To see that all these things that have been said about him are in fact true. Think about all the titles that we see in these verses that are associated with Jesus. He's the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the one whom the law and the prophets spoke of, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Son of Man. All these titles are full of Old Testament expectations of the coming Savior whom God had promised. And Jesus invites them to come and see. Richard Phillips, in his commentary, says this, Jesus' invitation is couched in the form of a promise. If you come, then you will see. If you sincerely seek to learn about Jesus, he will show you who he is. To come and see today is to open up our Bibles and read A great place to start is here in the Gospel of John. If you come honestly seeking Jesus in the Scriptures for who he is and what he has to offer, he will reveal himself to you. And if you find that hard to believe, just take up Jesus' invitation. Come and see. Come and see. These disciples came and saw where he was staying for the night, and then they stayed with him. And then there's that little detail in verse 39. Do you see that? For it was about the 10th hour. Most commentators say John the author provides a reference of time here because most likely he's that other disciple. The two disciples who left John the Baptist, we know that it was Andrew, but then there's an unnamed disciple. So most commentators believe that is John who is writing this account. And most likely he wrote this little reference here because this meeting with Jesus for the first time was so life-changing that he remembered the exact hour he met the Lord. Could you imagine the conversation that took place? These two men stayed with Jesus, the Son of God, that day. They probably asked so many questions. And the answers that he provided over and over again just proved that he was the one that the law and the prophets spoke about. And so convinced of this, look at verse 40. Andrew, who was introduced as Simon Peter's brother, his immediate response was to find his brother Peter and tell him. What did he say? We have found the Messiah. And John gives us that little note, which means Christ. For those of you who do not know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. When we say Jesus Christ, what we mean is Jesus the Messiah. Jesus, the promised one, the anointed one, the chosen one. He's the promised one who would come and save and lead Israel 
And so Andrew comes to his brother Peter and proclaims, we have found him. And in verse 42, Andrew brings him to Jesus. Jesus looks at him and says, I'm going to tell you who you are and who you're going to be. You see that? In verse 42, he says, you are Simon, the son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. You are Simon, the son of John, but the new name that I'm going to give you is Rock. Cephas means rock in Aramaic, and Peter means rock in Greek. So Jesus speaks to Peter here in terms of the person that he would become by God's grace. We know that Peter in the Gospels is often loud and impulsive. He's the one who tells Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. And then he gets scared when a servant girl asks him a question. But at the end of the gospel, Peter is restored to ministry. And in the book of Acts, he is the rock who proclaims the truth. He preaches Jesus boldly again and again. But Peter was brought to Jesus by Andrew, his brother. The two kinds of witnesses that God has in his church is the preaching of the word, which we see John the Baptist doing at the beginning of our passage, but then also the preaching of the gospel by individual Christians. Andrew wasn't a well-known disciple, which is why he's introduced here as Peter's brother. He's living in the shadow of his brother. I don't think he minded it that much. Think about this. The first thing that Andrew does is witnesses to his brother. Many of us find it very hard to speak about our relationship with Jesus to those closest to us. It's sad but true that many Christians don't witness to their family and their closest friends. Andrew's concern here was his brother. Immediately he ran to Peter. He had met Jesus personally. Jesus had met the need of his heart, and he could not contain the joy and peace that he had, so he had to go and tell the one that he loved. Do you want your close friends and family members to experience the love and joy and peace that you found in Jesus? Be like Andrew. Alexander McLaren writes, this man was not even 24 hours into being a disciple and he made another one. Every time Andrew is brought up in this gospel, he's bringing people to Jesus. When Jesus wants to feed the 5,000, Andrew's the one who brings the boy who has the barley loaves and the fish. And shortly before Jesus' death, Andrew and Philip together bring a group of Greeks who wanted to meet Jesus. There are many people in our lives who would listen to a word from us, but who wouldn't listen to a sermon. We must all be like Andrew to seek out people and tell them what we have found in Jesus. The joy of knowing that our sins are forgiven 
the peace that comes from knowing God, the love that we feel as children of God. If you have a good doctor, you tell your friends that they should see him or her if they're sick. Everyone we know is sick with the disease of sin, and we know the one who can heal them. We know the one who can save them. So our knowledge of Jesus should lead us to bring others to him, as said Andrew did. But not all disciples come to Jesus in the same way. Right? Andrew and the unnamed disciple, most likely John, came through the testimony of John the Baptist. Peter came through the witness of his brother. And now Philip comes directly through the calling of Jesus. Look at verses 43 through 44. It says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. All right, so now we're on to the next day. This is the fourth day, and Jesus decides to travel to Galilee. And on the way, he finds Philip, who is from the same city as Andrew and Peter. It's possible that they knew Philip. But it says here that Jesus found him. That Jesus found him. Whether the Lord uses a human instrument or not, it is Christ himself who seeks out those and finds those who will follow him. Jesus came into the world for this very reason. He came to seek and save the lost. Notice how John describes each encounter with these men. Did you notice that Jesus sets his eyes on all of them? And when he sets his eyes on all of them, they're brought to faith. Look at verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them. Verse 42, Jesus looked at Peter. Verse 43, he found Philip. In verse 47, he saw Nathaniel. Jesus is the one who seeks and saves the lost. And all we know about the conversation between Jesus and Philip is that Jesus says to him, follow me. This is a statement that Jesus will make again and again all throughout the Gospels. And by saying, follow me, Jesus is inviting Philip to become one of his disciples. We know that there was definitely more that happened between verses 44 and 45. And it must have been amazing because Philip goes out in verse 45. He finds Nathanael and proclaims, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Just like Andrew, who immediately went out to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah to his brother, Philip goes out and he finds Nathanael and proclaims that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. And Philip is bursting with enthusiasm. He says, Nate, we found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel responds with skepticism. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nazareth was an insignificant place. And Joseph was a nobody. 
Of course, we know that Jesus wasn't the natural son of Joseph. He was Joseph's adoptive son. But saying Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, is like saying John Smith of Podunk, Illinois, the son of Hank. Seems unbelievable. If Philip would have mentioned Bethlehem, the town where Jesus was born, that would have made a little bit more sense. But Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? How does Philip respond? Philip responds with the words of Jesus. He just simply says to him, come and see. If you want to know whether Jesus is legitimate or not, whether he's real or not, come and see for yourself. Philip's response should help us when we encounter people who are skeptical. Philip believed that Nathaniel seeing Jesus for himself would be more compelling than anything he might say to try to convince him. The greatest argument for Jesus is Jesus himself. Notice how no one throughout these verses makes an argument for people to believe. There is a simple invitation to come and see. And at the end of the day, you cannot persuade anyone to believe. It is an encounter with the person of Christ that saves. A.W. Pink says in his commentary, he invited him to come and put Christ to the test for himself. This is the wise way. Do not be turned aside by the objections of the one to whom you are speaking, but continue to press upon him the claims of Christ and then trust God to bless his own word in his own good time. We don't need to win an argument. We don't need to convince anybody. We need to trust that as we invite people to come and see Jesus in the scriptures, that his word and his spirit will do the work. And what's ironic about Nathaniel's comment is that, yes, something good has come out of Nazareth. Think about all that we've seen in the gospel so far. He is the word, not only the word that was with God, but he is God. He's life. He's light. He's the only begotten of the Father. He's full of grace and truth. He's greater than John the Baptist. He's the Lord. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. Yes, there is more than just some ordinary man from a no-name town. God has come down to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Something good has come from Nazareth. In fact, something great has come. And Nathaniel will see this. Philip invites him to come and see. And in verse 47, Jesus sees Nathanael coming towards him and says this, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus says, Nathanael, I know you. You are a true Israelite. You're not a hypocrite. You're not a phony. 
This doesn't mean that Nathaniel was perfect, but he was an honest and genuine believer in God. And Nathaniel is shocked. He says, how do you know me? How could you know anything about me? There is something in the words of Jesus when he says, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit that cuts to the heart of Nathaniel. And then Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus says, not only that I know you on the inside, I know you on the outside. I not only know who you are, I know where you are. I saw you when my eyes couldn't see you. Here we see the divine nature of Jesus, his ability to know things that a normal human being could not. We see his omniscience, something about Jesus being able to see him under that fig tree proved to Nathanael that Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel. He's the Son of God who is divine. He's the King of Israel, which is another title for the Messiah. And Nathanael is now a believer. He's another disciple of Jesus. And Jesus says in response, look at verses 50 through 51. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus says, you think seeing you under the fig tree is impressive? Just wait. You haven't seen anything yet. And then he references two Old Testament texts. The first reference is Genesis 28 when Jacob has a dream and he sees this ladder from earth to heaven. And on that ladder are angels going up and down, ascending and descending. And when he wakes up, he says, surely God is in this place. And he calls it Bethel. Beth being the word for house and El, short for Elohim, for God. This is the house of God. And now Jesus says, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He says, you're not going to need Jacob's ladder. I'm the ladder. I will connect heaven and earth. He is the link between the two. He is where heaven and earth meet. Jesus is the new Bethel, the new house of God. And then he calls himself the Son of Man. And sometimes we think son of God refers to his divinity and then son of man refers to his humanity. But actually the son of man is one of the strongest titles in the New Testament that show his deity. Jesus is referring to Daniel chapter 7. And in this chapter, Daniel has this vision of the ancient of days, God on his throne. And then there is one like the son of man who comes to the ancient of days and was given an everlasting dominion and a kingdom that will not be destroyed. And Jesus is saying, I am that divine son of man. Jesus says to Nathaniel, I'm glad that you believe because of my omniscience, because I know things. But you are going to see greater things, things that are supernatural and divine. And we'll see one of those things next week in chapter 2. But later on, Jesus will use that title, Son of Man, by saying the Son of Man must be lifted up, referring to the cross 
and the resurrection, to save and give eternal life. This man who is calling disciples to himself is truly the Lamb of God who will go to the cross and die for the sins of those who believe in him, who will be laid in a tomb, and three days later he will rise from the dead. Jesus is the one who reconciles people to God. He is the one who connects heaven and earth. And as we close, I want to give you some things to consider. First, if you are here and you're not a believer in Jesus, I want you to think about that question. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? And I invite you to come and see Jesus for who he is. All these disciples that we've learned about here in this text came to Jesus first and foremost because they knew that they were sinners in need of a Savior. And so do you see your need for salvation? The Bible is clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in need of the salvation that Jesus brings. You cannot save yourself. And so... Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Come and see, believe in Jesus. And if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, how are you doing with bringing others to him? How are you doing with bringing others to him? Because we're all natural evangelists for the people and things that we love most. It's not hard to talk about your kids. It's not hard to talk about your favorite restaurant. You like it, and you're excited about it, and then you just share with everybody about it. We're all natural evangelists for the things that we love most. And so if we're never talking about Jesus, if we're never sharing Jesus then we should question if we've really seen him. Do you really know him? Because what we've seen in these verses is that those who have encountered Jesus personally have immediately gone out and shared with others about him. They did not care if it was a family member. They did not care about the consequences. They immediately went out. I say that But then I also say that personal evangelism is hard. Let's be honest about that. It is hard, and it's hard mostly because we make it hard. We psych ourselves out. We feel like we have to have all the answers. We have to have all the Bible verses memorized. But as we've seen how Philip approached Nathaniel, we have a different strategy presented to us. If someone we are witnessing to says, I don't buy it, I don't believe it, we can simply say, come and see. Would you be willing to look? Would you be willing to sit down? Would you ever just want to sit down and read through part of the Bible with me? You don't have to be the world's greatest apologist. You don't need to have all the verses memorized. You just need to know where Jesus is and say, come and see. 
just need to know Jesus. I need to love other people. And you need to have a burden to connect the people that you love with the Jesus that you know. So what have you seen? And whom will you tell? If you've seen Jesus, if you know him, then who are you going to tell? This week, pray this simple prayer. Lord, give me one person this week that I can point to Jesus. Someone who I can say, come and see. Following Jesus involves coming, seeing, and inviting others to do the same. Let's pray.